Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of The Front Row. Tom and Keith with you. KJ, when last I saw you, we were basking in the glow of a seventh straight win over the University of Miami. Seven. Actually, the last time you saw me, we were sitting in my truck about 5.30 in the morning taping Wake Up Knowles. Nobody nobody <laughs> wants to hear how the sausage How the is made. sausage is made. Yes, but that is a true statement. Yes, because it wasn't enough that we landed and, and got to the car about 5 in the morning. We then did an hour of radio and went to bed at 6 on Sunday. And by the way... I think, and I'm going to attribute that entire Miami victory to the fact that we changed chairs. We did do that. We also we changed, mixed it up. We also changed Tim uh, Linnefeld's walk-up music, which we may have to we may have to stick with that this week. Just we're on a roll. We're on a roll. It was uh, it was a fun night. You know, I I I, I had absolutely no idea. I had not thought through. Uh, you were down on the field. I was up in the radio booth. Uh, they score to make it 2019. Never even occurred to me a possibility that Florida State would block an extra point. In my mind, I'm going, all right, there's a minute 20, a minute 30 left. Wonder if Florida State can get down close enough to try a field goal. Uh, I'm going, well, what happens in overtime? Uh, This has been such a hard-fought game. Uh, Francois had the crap knocked out of him. Same with Kaya. You know, what in the world, what in the world, what in the world? And all of a sudden, 4-4 sticks that big hand up. And, and that was just the most remotest, if that's the right way to say it, idea in my mind. I had no idea that that could even possibly And now they've happen. done it two weeks in a row. Yep. What went through my mind, well, first of all, with a minute 30 left and two timeouts, I was pretty confident Florida State was going to move the ball close enough to at least get a field goal attempt. But given the history of this series, I wasn't quite as confident that said field goal attempt was going to be good. So I was thinking overtime, and then it occurred to me, well, the last time Miami won in South Florida was 2004, and they won in overtime. In overtime. So that's exactly. what I was processing in my head as we went through that. But fortunately, it didn't come down to that. And the interesting thing, we talked a lot about the X's and O's of the game in, in Wake Up Knowles on Sunday. From a from a big-picture perspective, as you read the articles, as I hear other people talk they they talk about the look on the Miami fans' faces when it was 13 to 10 after Dalvin scored as if it was inevitable that Miami was going to lose. And that is 180 degrees from where this series was in the wide right days where Florida State every time out felt that they outplayed Miami, but in the third and fourth quarter fans and everybody in the stadium thought, well, it's just a matter of when Miami's going to win this game. I mean, it has gone 180 degrees. One of the criticisms of coach Bowden and his staff after wide right, i.e. through the 90s, was that it even affected the coaching staff in how they prepared during the week and, and the plays that they called and the defenses Mickey called up, that that it was such a, a cloud over the program that not only did it affect the fans and, and, and the players, it affected the coaching staff, the professionals. And, and to see that go 180 degrees opposite, I'm with you. That that was very, uh, very amazing. Well, now you look at it, it's seven in a row. I mean, we're just going to check number eight off, right? I mean, that game's here next year. Florida State will return its starting quarterback. Miami probably – you know what? I'm going to say this. Now, Brad Kaya may have been dinged in this game. I was a lot less impressed with him this time around than I had been previously in his career. And I know going into the season – the NFL draft gurus, for whatever that's worth, going into the season, had him as you know a top five pick behind Deshaun Watson, the number two quarterback out there. I don't see it right now. Well, and Joe Zagaki <clears throat> planted this seed in my mind last week when he mentioned, well, maybe Brad comes back for one more year. I, after seeing that performance, I could see that as a more likely scenario. I'm not saying it's going to happen. but I, I would agree with you. The only thing that, that materially impacts that is who else is going to be eligible for the draft this year. And I've not studied that. I know we got the kid in Washington. Right. I know you've got uh, uh, Jackson's not even eligible, so the Louisville kid. But you've got Deshaun and, and maybe a couple of others. So, Chad you know, Kelly. Chad, Chad Kelly. Kelly forgot draft. about him. Forgive me. <laughs> wow. Forgot about him. Everybody Florida State's put now. Yeah. And, and so I think that will have as big an impact on what Kaya does 
does as anything on the field. I mean, there's some off-the-field things that will have to go into his brain trust and, and his consideration. But I agree with you. He, he, he still scares the daylights out of me. You know, I saw him throw for 400 yards last year. I saw him throw for 300 yards the year before. Uh, and despite uh, Florida State getting to him uh, and, and even physically removing a molar or a cap or something in his mouth, um, uh, he's still a dangerous quarterback. It'd be okay with me if he goes on. Point being, either way, Florida State will win number eight in a row next year, probably October Excuse at Doe Camo Stadium. You sign right here. You sign right there guaranteeing I'll that. sign the I promise. The, no, don't worry about that. The uh, So let's talk about this, though. The defense for Florida State collectively was better last year and two years ago than what it's been this year. So how is it that Kaya had his worst game? Was he dinged? And there's a theory out there that he – you know, was looking at cobwebs or trying to shake cobwebs off after the first sack of the game. Well, he he was definitely not himself the first series or two after Pew, you know, because basically Pew slung him down. Well, I mean, it wasn't malicious, probably shouldn't have done it, but it wasn't malicious, wasn't foul, a foul wasn't called. But he, he gave him a good 360 spin, and the first thing to hit was his helmet on that, on that turf. So, yeah, he was probably a little dazed, uh, if that's the right way to say it, the first couple of series. But I think the bigger part of it, which is where you're going with this conversation, is Florida State just executed their game plan. I mean, everybody who wants to, to, to string Charles Kelly up, wants to put for sale signs in his front yard, wants to hang him in effigy, you got to understand the guy knows defense. He knows how to prepare a defense. And that game plan was prepared specifically to control Kaya. The kids executed, and guess what they did? They controlled Kaya, threw for a little over 200 yards. Basically, the one throw, and, and McFadden you know, says he got his the lights were in his eyes. Okay, whatever. Don't tell William uh, Floyd that um, <laughs> you know other than that they controlled him uh, I think it's just the execution of the game plan we finally saw the defense able to do it well when you look at the you can call them excuses you can consider them reasons that was a going in everybody said that that offense was a better matchup for Florida State's defense Florida State was healthier most notably Derek Noddy up front and Florida State made some personnel changes and played some younger DBs. But all that said, how much of it came down to simplifying the plan, playing more man instead of zone, in your mind, from what you saw from the booth? From what I saw, and again, I didn't go. I, I haven't sat down with Charles, and I haven't gone through the call sheet. Uh, you know, so if you say they were in more man than zone, I'm not sure about that because I mean, you don't. I don't. I don't keep track of that during the game. What What I do know is Lane came in and played well uh, above what a, a, a third-week player should play or a two-week player should play. Number two, your linebackers, you know, finally stepped up. Uh, I know Thomas got ejected there, but uh, you had the young kid come in, and and they performed very well. But I I think you hit the nail on the head. I think it starts up front. Uh, Naughty had been playing on a bad ankle, uh, and I think with him being healthy. And the one thing you can do against Miami's offense that you cannot do against Ole Miss and Louisville and North Carolina, is you can't get penetration because that read option will kill you if you get penetration. You've got to hit and hold. Well, you can get penetration even in the running game against a Miami offense, and Florida State's front four did just that, and that disrupted the running game and therefore went into disrupting Kaya and the passing game. Yeah, Naughty definitely got hurt late first quarter against Louisville. What I don't know is if he was hurt earlier in the season and re-heard it at that point but it was clearly uh it was just as the onslaught was beginning at louisville that i saw him tweak that ankle and he hadn't been the same since uh, so it is good to see that that he's back uh, demarcus walker continues to play well your favorite guy sweat had his best game arguably not arguably this year maybe arguably in his career in his career and and i and i will go back to you i would tell you it all was effort because I have a tendency to kind of keep my eye on number nine these days. And, uh, you know, there were not as many plays that he took off. There was not as many plays as he kind of jogged one way or the other uh, to his credit. And, 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 and let's give him credit for that. Uh, he played. He played hard. And when he plays hard, he can make a difference. Well, and he made a difference. I, I want to continue the conversation about Ehrman Lane, though, and uh, we probably don't have enough time in this segment to do it. So hold that thought because you're a former safety. This guy's been there two or three weeks. I, I want to get to the crux of this, which is, is this guy going to be able to help this defense? Because in a one-game sample, it appears the answer to that question is yes. 
there are no uh, appearances that uh, would mislead you in terms of Madison Social being the place to be to uh, catch Florida State football games. I was out at uh, Centrale, as a matter of fact. When was I at Centrale? Sunday afternoon. Got the first sampling in. Weather is good. Uh, was sitting outside on the deck. You got to check it out. It's the Italian parlor. There might have been an adult beverage involved. That's a vicious rumor. That is a vicious rumor at this point. And uh, our good friend Matt Thompson invited us to come out and say what we did. Which we will take What him we up didn't on. tell Matt is that we're going to order everything on the menu since he well, offered to pick up the tab. Yeah, we've got to sample everything and see how it goes. Anyway, head out to Madison Social. Centrale is open, which is uh, uh, not right next door, but two doors down or whatever. And Township will that open. It would be across. East, right? Two it would be. East. Township will open up uh, across the street, I think, next month. So lots of good stuff going on there. It's homecoming weekend. There'll be a big crowd out. Uh, with what, and it's an ideal time, too, because you can get the brunch beforehand. You can get late night when the game's over. So good weekend to head out there. All right, we will get to our Seminoles.com insider. You know him as Tim Linnefelt. We know him just as Mr. Big Time, and he'll join us next with his new walk-up music as we try to continue this trend, and we roll on on the front row. Listening to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979ESPNRadio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. Back on the front row, we'll continue the conversation. We were all poised, ready to have our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefeld join us, but I told you he was big time. Time out. He just big timed us and asked to to push back a segment so we'll talk to him next segment he's we got to get our people to connect with his people so we can make that happen we, but we once need, that we need happens, to get some people yeah we do need to get some people he's already got them but uh we will uh, have that interview in in uh, in a few minutes let's uh, get to the question i just posed about ermin lane uh first of all credit to him i mean he's been there i think three weeks at that position and my first thought when you see number seven in there is wow, that doesn't speak very well of everybody else that plays the safety position. If a guy that moved there three weeks ago is now playing when you get a guy injured. Having watched him play, though, uh, it may be that he's he's got the skill set and the uh, instincts to make that work. Part of playing safety is instincts. Uh, it, you don't have to be the greatest athlete. Uh, you don't have to be the biggest and the fastest. I'm, I'm sitting here in front of you, a testament to that. Now, that was 35 years ago, uh, but I wasn't the biggest. I wasn't the fastest. Uh, but I, but I had some instincts, and and unlike the absolute physical demands on the corner, because you're you're playing one on one a lot, particularly in bump and run, the safety uh, you know gets to line up a little deeper, gets another half a second second to read things, and if you're intuitive and if you're instinctual, then you 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 can pick up on that position quicker than you can just about any position. If you don't have those traits then we can stick you back there for four years, three years, and you, you're not going to do much. Uh, and, again, I don't mean this as derogatory as it sounds, but just look at Myron Roll. He was a great athlete, but he wasn't a very good safety. He didn't make things happen. Ehrman just seems to have that instinctual ability about So in a one-game sample size, you saw enough to think I, that he's I got saw a enough. There. Now, he's got a lot of work to do, and he made a, a boatload of mistakes. Charles Kelly would be the first to tell you that. Fortunately, those mistakes were such that it didn't cost anything. But you saw him make a couple of open field tackles. Uh, the mere fact, as you mentioned, that he's back there means he's been doing things in practice. And, and of all the positions, uh, the safety position is the one where if you've just got some good football skills and you have some instinct, uh, you can play early uh, because it's not that complicated. God knows I know. Well, now here's what's going to happen. Teams – are going to game plan and test out what he's doing. And it, that number seven is a pretty big figure out there. So it's pretty easy for the opposing quarterback to look up and go, oh, number seven's well, on the and field. Well, we, and we haven't seen him play against a read option or, or a, a, a running attack that got on, on track. Right. Uh, Florida State's front four was able to control Miami's That said, he game. did trigger downhill much quicker than, than Westbrook and some others. He does. And which again, is a big key in the, against... But that's back to that instinctual part. Yeah. You know, if, 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 if I'm not playing with with instinct i may i may be a half a second three quarters of a second late well that's an eternity on defense you know he who hesitates is lost and behind and never catches up uh i was impressed not not making him an all-american not tell you he's going to start forever and be great but uh the the first real true test he passed 
I just find it a fascinating story that a five-star guy was the one who initiated the conversation because he wanted to get on the field. And Corey Clark wrote an article about it, and I, I agree with that. I mean, this is this is different than Xavier Rhodes, for example, who we hear about a lot, who wanted to play receiver, and ultimately Jimbo got him on the other side of the ball, and he's making an NFL living. Xavier's going to be at the game this weekend, by the way. Or, or a Cam Irving, you know, who moved from defense to offense and then moved further inside and became a center. Well, let me tell you what the problem is. The problem with it is the recruiting services. Because he was a five-star recruit because he's tall and he's fast and he, he could catch the ball when it was thrown to him. It had no measure of his ability to run routes, to make side adjustments after the snap. It just had he's a five-star athlete. He wasn't a five-star receiver. He was a five-star athlete. And that's what's wrong with our recruiting services right now. It's not about who they are as a football player. It's who they are as an athlete. Jimbo's the one that can pick the athlete. Well, that's this is a and fair then point. put him into the proper position. In defense of the recruiting services, I will say that it's at least evolved from where it was twenty to twenty five years ago. At least they now have camps where they put said five star against other said five star. Whereas in the past, it was just look at a grainy tape and the one kid who was a freak athlete playing against twenty one guys or with twenty one guys. You're noticing my look of unbelief. I I, I am noticing. You want to continue to expand? No, I've made my point. What were you coming out by the recruiting services? Did I was they a exam- negative two. You were negative two. <laughs> they didn't have stars back then, you idiot. Well, we I, that's ha- why I asked. We the didn't question. have the. We didn't have the if internet. If they did have stars, they certainly were in black and white. Weren't we they? didn't have the internet. We didn't have voicemail. We weren't tweeting. We weren't. <laughs> it was. I used to go over to my girlfriend's house. I thought maybe they every a rock night out and they carved a star into it. On just the about. Side. Just about. <laughs> I used to go over to my girlfriend's house in high school and just hang out over there so that I wouldn't have to answer the party phone, the telephone. Or I'd go next door to Ms. Vondrack's house and ask her to take her phone off the hook. Because if Ms. Vondrack did not hang up her phone, our phone did not ring. And there you go. And there you go. I'm surprised there wasn't NCAA legislation involved with something about that, you know, since they they regulate everything else. All right, well, let's go back to the Ermin Lane safety discussion because we need to point out that Nate Andrews' career – uh, is done at FSU. I know that Jimbo said they're going to seek a red shirt. I don't see how that's possible. It, it would be a hardship. It would be shirt. a hardship. And the NCAA of late has shown that there is actually a small office of common sense somewhere in their headquarters in Indianapolis. Of, of their 300 and something employees, there's one of them somewhere that has a heart. And every now and then right. he or she shows well, and, himself. And apparently a couple of matters of late have made their way to that office and somebody's made a, a logical, common sense decision. Uh, that said, Nate Andrews has been hurt throughout his career. But coming into this year, Florida State had played 43 games in the last three seasons. And Nate Andrews had played 43 games in the last three seasons. This year he was hurt. He hurt his calf. Now he's hurt his peck. He played four of the six games. So it's not like his injuries had him off the field, which is why I think it's going to be hard for him to get another year. All that said, great guy, team guy. Terrific guy. Hopefully Terrific he adopts Ermin as his pet project, which is what Ermin said has been has already anyway. been happening. So, I mean, if you could just take what Nate Andrews knows about playing the safety position and just inject it into Ermin right now, we'd be in a pretty good place. I don't know what Nate's plans are relative whether he will try to play professionally. Uh, I'm not sure that, that he is NFL caliber, but he might could play in Canada. He might could play arena. But I'll tell you the one thing I hope he goes into, and this will be no surprise to you, I hope he goes into coaching. Nate Nate's one of those guys. I don't know him well, but I, I've talked to people that know him, and I've listened to the comments from Kelly and from Coach Fisher. And, um, I mean, he's a stand-up character guy. He's a quality guy. And uh, he would be – he, at face value, would be a good one uh, that, that the coaching profession would embrace, I think, if that is something he chooses or wants to follow. Well, and he may be at the point that he's, you know, he's experienced about every injury there is out there, I think. So sports medicine would also be a good angle for him. But he may be at the point, you know, if you're a fringe player, why continue to put the wear and tear on your body? Who knows? I, Who can't, knows? Answer, I can't answer that for Nate. What we do know is we're not going to see him again this Correct. year. Uh, and so now the, the the story shifts a little bit to Derwin James and when we might see him. I never thought, remember when he first got hurt, there was a lot of talk, Derwin's a quick healer, all that sort of thing. And he may be, but I never saw him cut playing before Clemson. And I don't know that he's going to play against I don't Clemson. And I don't Clemson know. was right in the heart of what the time frame was for him. There was a lot of people that thought, oh, he, he heals so quickly, we're going to see him against Wake this week or against Miami. I never was one that subscribed to And I don't know if bringing him back for Clemson is smart. Uh, I know you have the week off, and it's another week to heal and everything, but 
But but think about the magnitude of that game. Uh, I know with Florida State's losses, it's lost a little bit of its national luster, but certainly extremely important uh, for both teams' season and within the ACC. I mean, I just don't have a good feel for whether it would be smart to bring him back in that high-profile a game or how you would bring him back in that high-profile game. He may not be physically able to do it. That would take care of the discussion. Well, that's the first thing. Bring, yeah. him, bring him back when he's ready. Exactly. Consider him when he's exactly. ready. But I get your point about integrating him against Deshaun Watson at that point. I just I don't know if I would be willing and how, how smart that decision would be. Uh, I'm glad I don't have to make it. You missed a great clip, I'm assuming, on the Showtime show last night because you didn't watch it, did you? I did not. Because you still don't have Showtime. I do not. I, I, it's on my phone here if you want to watch it before we finish this episode of The Front Row. But basically they have a conversation going at practice, uh, Jimbo and Derwin. And Derwin, you talk about coach, leader. I mean, he's all that on the sideline. There were some great clips of him last night. And Jimbo's sort of fishing around, uh, you know, what what's going on? What's wrong? What are we missing? What, and Derwin says, take the heart right there in your chest and put it in those guys and points at the defense. There you go. Problem solved. I mean, it was a, it was a one sound bite answer to what the defense looks a lot better when there's effort. Haven't haven't we been saying that for a while? We have, but to hear Derwin say that to his head coach, which is what happened last night on the show, was a pretty powerful sound bite. I thought uh, I did a little double take when I heard that one. I said, well, that, that about sums things up. If Jimbo to call me three weeks ago, four weeks ago, I told him. All right, I'm told. I told him. I'm told that an intermediary has been able to track down one of Tim Linnefelt's people. And we are going to try to bring on our Seminoles.com insider momentarily when we come back here on the front row. Cross, cross those fingers. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. Everybody's talking about reasons why Florida State beat Miami. Francois tough. Defense played better. The real answer, you just is heard right it. there. You heard it. Our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt, we changed or he changed his walk-up music last week, and it made all the difference in the world as we go to our Earl Bacon Agency hotline, Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Tim, great call. Uh, Jimbo hopefully uh, gave you at least a pat on the back for that because it has been a difference maker. I'm sure that it's coming. I, I think there's a thank you card or something. Uh, on its way for me but but yeah whenever you find something that works as uh, as jimbo and and you guys know you, you got to stick with it so uh we'll we'll, we'll go we'll rock it for another week and see how it goes we will rock it for another week as uh wake forest rolls into town seven in a row tim i know this story this topic's been beaten to death in the last four days but you know i just it makes me smile to say seven in a row every time i bring it up no it really is something and you know if you'd ask the florida state fan what, well, I guess eight, nine years ago, back when Miami was, was putting together six wins in a row, the, the idea that Florida State could win seven in a row, really that anybody could win seven in a row in a series like this seems so far-fetched. And, uh, it, you know, it's funny, on the on the other side of it, and I'm sure in years down the road we'll look back on seven in a row and think you know, just how much, how dominant Florida State was over Miami. And, and overall, they certainly have been. But they've earned a lot of these wins. You know I mean? Obviously this one was, was really, really hard fought. They had to have a late fourth quarter comeback last year, the huge comeback in 2014, even the 13 game was close for a half and, and on and on and on. So uh, a lot of these games have been really, really memorable. Some of the better games, more entertaining games in the series, I think. So, and the fact that Florida State's been able to, to come out on top of all of them just makes it that much sweeter. Tim, I thought this game uh, was probably the most physical of, of at least the seven uh, consecutive Florida State victories. Uh, there were there were some uh, head knocking and, and even legitimately some late calls, some called, some not called, late hits rather. Uh, this, 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 both sides came out of this ball game hurting a little bit. Oh, my gosh, it was just brutal. Uh, talking to some of the players on Monday and Tuesday, all of them said that they were sore. Marquez White said he woke up on Sunday and didn't want to get out of bed. He was so sore. And some guys have been taking it a little bit more lightly in practice this week uh, as a result of it. DeAndre Francois, his, his toughness and his resolve has been a huge topic of conversation this week. And that you saw just how often he got hit. If you watched the Showtime show last, uh, last night, they had 
a pretty big montage, so to speak, of uh, of him getting hit and you know just sort of getting up slowly and what have you, having to go to the injury tent and coming back in the game. Uh, I think everybody felt it. And look, it wasn't just Florida State absorbing blows from Miami either. They they laid some really big shots on uh, on Miami's players. Brad Kai, I think they said chipped a tooth, and then it was later determined that it was a molar. And I mean, gosh, think about how hard you have to hit a guy to knock a. a piece of his molar loose so you know he was feeling pretty bad on Sunday morning and, and on and on and on so and to me that's a sign that not that we were, were wondering but each team wanted this one you know they, they really wanted to win this game they wanted to impose their will and, and, and let it be known that in Miami's case this year things are going to be different or that in Florida State's case this year things are going to be the same and obviously Florida State emerged but it was, it was one of the more just brutal make you wince kind of games that I remember seeing in a while. Miami said it was going to be different, and it wasn't. And they've also said that it'll be different after the fact. And and I'm not so sure. I mean, they play North Carolina, who's got embarrassed last week, and will play better this week. And then they go to Virginia Tech five days later. I, I'm not so sure Miami doesn't have three losses twelve days from now, or whatever the math is. What do you think? Yeah, I actually agree. And I remember looking at their schedule at the beginning of the year and thinking that this stretch that they were on that involved Georgia Tech, Florida State. Virginia Tech, UNC, I think they get pit at the end of that, too. It's really difficult, and, and those are all quality teams. Obviously, you beat Georgia Tech already, but UNC, Virginia Tech, Pittsburgh, uh, it would be a pretty, I think, pretty nice ta- pretty nice accomplishment for Miami to go through that undefeated, but I don't think anybody was surprised if they dropped at least one game, maybe even two. So uh, it'll be interesting to see, like you said, is it different, not just in the Florida State sense, but in, in terms of Miami, I guess, beating the teams that you think Miami should beat, just when you think about programs and their status in college football, Miami should be a team that's beating North Carolina and probably beating Virginia Tech more often than not. And so now we get to see if that actually is the case. So I think for them to get back to sort of national relevance, if you will, it's not just beating Florida State. It's, it's handling business in the Coastal Division, which, as we all know, is something they haven't been able to do since they've really since they joined the ACC. Following up on that physicality, uh, Florida State loses safety Nate Andrews for the year. He'll have surgery on a pec muscle. And uh, in the latter stages of the game, Kareem R. went out. Do we have an update on his condition at all? Only thing I understand about Kareem R. is that he's fine. I'm not sure what the exact injury was, but he's been able to, to get out there. And I do believe they expect him to play on Saturday, uh, and which, is, which obviously is really good news. Uh, same goes for Landon Dickerson. He, he, remember he was hurt. I think he actually came back in the game, and he should be okay. So I believe that they expect the, the full offensive line to be available on Saturday. Obviously, that can change between now and then. They're usually pretty noncommittal with, uh, with injuries early in the week and then see or evaluate later on. But that's what we know so far. Keep an eye on Eberly only because he didn't miss any time, but he did something to his elbow, and they fitted him with a brace for the last series or two of the game. It was almost like a minor hyperextension or something. That's my non – that's complete conjecture, actually, is what that is. But they put an elbow brace on him, but he finished the game, so I guess he's fine. Is there any reason to be concerned about Wake Forest this week? Uh, it could be. I, I don't think that Wake Forest – look, it's Wake Forest in that they're, you know that they're not going to be as deep or talented as, as Florida State, but – they kind of remind me, you know, the, the sort of the, the deal with Wake back when they were, were having their success under Jim Grove was sort of the idea that, you know, they knew they couldn't compete with the upper echelon of the ACC athletically. So what they would do was you know, redshirt as many guys as possible, get as much experience as they can, and then every three or four years have a team loaded with juniors, seniors, and fifth-year seniors. And it seems like that's kind of what we have this year. There's a lot of experience on that group. A lot of guys on offense and defense are, are have been in the program for, for multiple years. And, and so, you know, the idea is they're going to know what they're supposed to do. They're going to know their assignments. They're going to know the, the system that they have. And so I think they're going to maximize what it is that they have. And as, as we've seen, if you're Florida state and, you know, in the past, if you, if you don't take them seriously, or if, if you don't play as sharp as you're supposed to, then they can make for a pretty uncomfortable situation in the second half, and maybe even they can jump up and tag some people. They are 5-1. and one. Now, some of those wins are, are, are not against upper echelon opponents, but they do have wins over Duke and Syracuse in the ACC, which, uh, again, I know Florida State fans don't put a lot of stock into beating Duke and Syracuse, but you know they are wins in, in conference, which is something Wake Forest hasn't been able to do much of the last few years. So, uh, to me, it's, it's just a matter of Florida State continuing to play sharp play even close to how you did against Miami, and you should be fine. If the Miami game sort of, you know, if you come in resting on your laurels or thinking that you accomplished something and that you can cruise through this one and, and get on the fast lane to the bye week, 
then it could become a problem. But I think it's, it really is more about Florida State than Wake Forest in that regard. Well, and that's been the case, honestly, all season long, uh, maybe the exception being Lamar Jackson in Louisville, uh, because a great Florida State team or effort that day might have lost to Lamar Jackson in Louisville. The, Keith and I are going to kick this around in our next segment, Tim, and I, it's it's oft asked, and I don't know that anybody has the answer, because if they did, Jimbo would be trying it. But what's the deal with the slow offensive starts here? Ah, gosh, if if, if you yeah, if you know that, pass it along, and I'll see if I can uh, can get it into the coach's meeting room. I, I really don't understand it. Um, uh, it was the same thing for the for the defensive starts earlier this year. I, I, I'm not sure. I, I wonder. Just just an idea since you're kicking it around. I almost wonder it, it, it's a trend, but I don't know that there's a, a common theme. Like it, it, it feels different. At least the one against Miami felt differently. I, I didn't feel like the offense against Miami was lethargic or disinterested or whatever the case may be, whatever we typically think of in, in those types of situations. I, I kind of thought that maybe they were feeling it out a little bit, might have been a, a little bit of nerves in that type of setting. And, you know, Miami's defense, I thought, played pretty well, and, and they were pretty good too. So I, I don't necessarily have an answer. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see how it is going forward against Wake Forest, if, if they come out and, and, and look like they can move the ball and, and put up some points and, and, and look sharp. I think that's kind of the, the operative word for me is just, you know, look sharp and engaged. So I, I almost wonder, like I said, if, if Miami, despite the fact it took them a little while to get going, I almost don't include that with the, uh, the North Carolina or the, or the Louisville situations uh, there, because to me, it just felt different. We'll see if I'm right about that on Saturday, but, but I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not ready to group that in yet. If they struggle again against Wake Forest, I think it's, it's okay in my mind to, to include it. But for now I'm willing to kind of view that one separately. Well, I, well, I have a theory. Okay. Unfortunately, the theory is based on the fact that Jameis would make the theory not be applicable, but I'll give it to you anyway. Florida State's practices are so intense in terms of limited amount of time, so they're going rep, 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 and what our, what our listeners may not know is they're actually two practices at the same time. You know, when you're going offense against defense in the old days, all the other offensive and defensive players were watching during practice in the day's era, you've got the number two offense going against the number two defense or one, however they flip it up. In other words, you've got two fields going at the same time. And Jimbo there's will tell you. There's not a lot of standing around. There's no standing around. Yeah. And Jimbo will tell you that he, he puts such pressure, particularly on the quarterback, during practice so that the practices literally are harder than the games. So, therefore, when you get to the game, you've been told the game is not as hard as practice – and mentally, there's just a little bit of a – you catch your breath. Ah, we're now at the weekend. It won't be as difficult. I don't particularly ascribe to that, but that is a theory out there. Your thoughts? Yeah, it's, it's as good as anyone that I've heard, <laughs> so for, uh, for that matter. So, yeah. So it I, I sucks along with the rest of them. Is that what I hear you saying? <laughs> no, no, no. I, don't, I haven't heard very many other specific theories at all. No, I, I think it's, uh, it's definitely interesting and worth considering. I don't know. Again, I want to wonder if maybe there's just different types of circumstances in in each different case. You know, like again, I think the the Miami game probably should be viewed, at least in my mind, viewed on its own for the difficult road environment at night. First Florida State Miami game for DeAndre Francois, for Brock Rubel, for some of those other linemen. It's just it's just different a uh, different feel. Now the the one that sticks out to me probably is the North Carolina game. You know, that game's, you know, at home. You just came off of a, a nice offensive performance against USF, going against a defense that I don't think is, is very good. So what's going on there? And so that's kind of, to me, if, if that, those problems carry over to, or to Wake Forest, uh, you know, a home game at 3.30 uh, in the afternoon, then I think it may be time to, to look and see what's going on here. But for now, uh, given that they, you know, they did play well against USF, uh, in between there, uh, offensively at least. Um, I, I don't know that I want to push the red button just yet, but it's something that I think you guys said to keep an eye on. I think we're out of questions. Are you out of questions, Keith? Do you have anything? I was just going to be interested in what else is going on in the world of Seminole athletics. Yes, we have been buried in FSU Miami. So uh, is there what else is on Seminoles.com right now, Tim? Well, there, there, is, a, there is a lot going on. The one thing that you should, uh, should look at, they, they finally got the, uh, the video for the, the highlights from the, uh, the jam with him. Uh, last week uh, on Friday night, they had the uh, the 1970s theme. And if you've I got to get Twitter, me, I got to get me one of those suits. I wonder. Yeah, what, yeah. I got to get. I got to talk to Coach Ham's Taylor. 
Hey, he, he looked good, didn't he? Well, if, you, and if you've seen the, uh, the photos on Twitter or on social media, they had the uh, the throwback uniforms. Florida State was wearing the throwback basketball uniforms that just looked incredible. We've been inundated with requests with, for uh, people wanting to buy them, and then hopefully that can be an option one day. But uh, they look great. It looks like a lot of fun, and you get to see some, some guys like Jonathan Isaac, the, the new freshman, and Trent Forrest kind of throw it down a little bit and show off what they can do. So uh, a lot of excitement around the men's basketball team, which, by the way, begins this regular season. One month from today on November 12th, and as fate would have it, uh, there's a, a home basketball game that Friday night against Boston College, and then the men's basketball team starts their regular season the following day. So uh, that'll be here before you know it, and, and check those guys out. They really are, uh, I think, pretty excited about this team and have a, a pretty fun roster. Good deal. And by the way, Tim, uh, Keith has not seen any of those pictures on Twitter or social media, I can assure you. Yeah, it's because he's not on it. Exactly. He's waiting right. for the... He's waiting for the uh, the post office to to drop every, the postcard in his every mailbox. time we get these uh, we, these tweets about this show. Talking about the podcast, it's always my Twitter handle, your Twitter handle, and Keith Jones. It's very, very yeah, and fast. it's his physical street address. I know it just doesn't fly <laughs> with social media. Hey Tim, thank you. You got it, Tom. We'll see you. He is our Seminoles dot com insider. He joins us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline. Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your f- future together. Re- go really, really. Go. You had to go there, did you? I I did. I did. And there's such a bright smile on your face. Your eyes are twinkling. Uh, It's like you found a new reason to live. Let's pick on KJ today. Well, the Polaroids have been developed, and I've put them in an envelope, and you should get them by Friday. We'll come back and talk more about Keith's social media presence presence when we continue on the front row. (laughs) I was driving. Trees went back. Listening to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones only on 97.9 ESPN Radio. Here's Tom and Keith. Welcome back, everybody. I want to offer my sincerest apologies to to Keith. I I pulled the bus off of him during break because he was going to park three buses on top of me. So I think we're good now. We'll continue with this segment. We're 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 on public airways. Yes, then there's witnesses. Uh, I will point out that your theory about the slow starts is as good as any. You offered that up on Saturday. I don't have a better one. I, I was trying to process this, and one of the things that Jimbo's really good at is adjusting in-game to what the other team is doing, which is part of the reason why you see success as the game goes on. But just thinking in a short sample size, against Miami, they moved the ball and got a few first downs before they ultimately didn't get it well, on that third. Against North Carolina, they moved the ball. They had to settle for field goal attempts. And Travis Rudolph dropped a touchdown. Yeah. So I, what I'm saying is it's not like the plays weren't there. But honestly, the first offensive play of the game against Miami, if you go back and watch it, oh, somebody, now, if Dalvin goes somebody gets left Dalvin instead of right. by a shoelace there, and otherwise he's going to do what he yep. did against Clemson. Yep. I mean, so... The, the point being, I don't think it's the way that Jimbo is, is scripting or, or preparing. Plus, plus the first game of USF. Now, granted, your defense had given up a touchdown on play one. Right, but you scored on play one. Yeah, so that's a, I mean, that's a three-game sample size, and Louisville was what it was. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is, to me, it's more on, on the players and nerves or relaxing because the practices are so hard or whatever. That's what it is, and uh, what's interesting about it is, Jameis is as good as he was at FSU and those hot starts. He sort of has the same plague at the NFL level where he's getting off the slow well, And starts. that was my comment earlier about Jameis being the exception. Obviously, during the Jameis era, often, you know, you were up 35 nothing in the first quarter against teams occasionally. I also think that does magnify our concern because that 13 team was so different than anybody else that you literally were. If you were 10 minutes late to the game, it was 35 nothing. Yeah. And uh, which had not been the norm historically, but nevertheless, you should be scoring a touchdown or 10 points in the first quarter. And it's been a struggle to get there. So I don't know what the answer last time Wake came to town. If memory serves, that game was zero zero at, at the, after one and like 13 to three or something. And that was because there was a fumble, maybe a scoop and score right before the half. I mean, I didn't look at the play by play, but so it was the same type thing. You're in a dogfight at halftime, you know, and, and, and Florida state uh, coming back to this week's game has had success uh, against wake force. 
I still think that 30 to nothing uh, game is probably one of the five most significant games in the history of Florida State football in terms of what the repercussions were with Jeff resigning and, and it ultimately leading to the hiring of Jimbo. Uh, so that being aside, but after that, Florida State's dominated Wake Forest with the exception of last year's game. Last year's game went right down to a Trey uh, Thomas interception well, in the end zone. And to correct, it wasn't right after that because in 07 and 08, Wake Forest won in that I'm area. sorry, yes, you yeah. are correct. You are correct. But but since then, yes, the games have been uh, – the 13-game was a blowout. Obviously, everything was a blowout in 13. Last year was interesting because it was an eight-point difference and Wake had a ball in the end zone on the last play of the game there trying to tie it if they also got the two-point try. I think – I think Dave Clawson has has done a good job, and I wasn't familiar with his backstory a whole lot, but I looked a little bit at it. This is his fourth coaching stop, and his previous three, they've all been complete rebuild jobs, and he's won a conference title at all of them before moving well, he, on. I think the, one He's of them the was, Leonard Hamilton of ACC football. Well, he's sort of like what Urban did you know, at some of his stops, albeit in, in four or five years instead of two years like Urban, but I think he was at... I don't know, maybe Fordham initially or something like that. And they went from one in 10 to winning a conference. Then he was at Richmond. He got them from sub 500 to the, the national semifinals. And I think they won the championship the year after London, by the way, I, I don't remember the, the time frame on that. Uh, then he went to Tennessee for a year because he was hoping that he might be the guy after uh, Phil Fulmer, but that went South. So that's when he became the Bowling Green head coach. Did the same thing there. Well, they had immediate success, then they backed up a little bit, and then they they finished high. And now here he is in year three at Wake Forest. Look, this is – I was reading it's a handful of times Wake Forest has had five wins at this point in the season. I think the eighth time in program history or yeah, something. Yeah, something like that. So, uh, I mean, they're one game away from being bowl eligible yeah, after I, going three and nine each of the last two years. And I understand their wins are Duke, Syracuse, Indiana. But their wins – Tulane, their win. I think their loss is NC State. Anyway, I'm not suggesting push the panic button. I do think uh, you have to. To me, if you if you've ever been to a game at Wake Forest, and they did a nice job to upgrade their stadium, but at the end of the day, it's a small stadium that seats thirty five thousand or whatever it is, and it just looks it has a high school feel to it. And they have four and a motorcycle, and they have four thousand for their student enrollment. But what he's done, if if you look back at it, he hasn't tried to better recruit the region that he's coaching in, i.e. he's not trying to get the best players in North Carolina and fighting NC State, North Carolina. He's selling something different. And what he's selling is he's trying to get guys that would go to Stanford or would go to Vandy or would go to high caliber academic institutions, but they didn't get offered there. So now he's getting those guys that were not quite at Stanford. And he's saying, come to Wake Forest. He's not going head to head with FSU and saying, I'm going to get this guy out of Dade County. He's going after the, the two and three and occasional four stars with the assumption that I'm going to take him and mold him into a football player. But he's selling more of what the university and the academic side Correct. is, too, and it's, and it's work. So, anyway, we'll see. It'll be uh, interesting this weekend. For me, what I want to see, it's all about Florida State, not the opponent. We need to see effort. They signed this promise note that uh, the, the I, IOU, the promise, whatever it was called. I will not loaf. I thought I thought when they signed their national letter of intent to FSU that that's what they signed. I, but apparently they signed I, another I, one. I'm just saying, I, I don't know. I don't know. I put that right on a tee for you, and you, you I'm just going to let it go. You, exactly. Um, some of the news that came out uh, a week ago. Let's. We didn't have. Uh, we didn't do this justice last week because the vote was happening uh, as we were recording the show. But the ACC decided to stick with eight conference games instead of nine. Well, and, in other words, there was no vote per se. They just stayed status quo. But well, here's what's significant about that. It has. It has been reported that. Ultimately, what that cost teams or schools is about five hundred grand a year over eight or ten years or something like that. In other words, ESPN wanted this extra game, and if they played an extra conference game or an extra Power Five opponent, everybody would get a little bit more money in the TV pot. But the ACC actually looked at it and said, you know what? We're good without it. So what does that tell you about the, the need for the TV? But good for the ACC. It speaks to how strong the league is right now and i think it's the best of both worlds really because those who wanted to keep it as is which is everybody that has an sec rival four four of them they got what they wanted those who wanted to play the other way they're not happy they don't get that conference you can still get you know i thought it was funny the argument has been it's hard to find power five opponents and immediately in wake of this news somebody just signed missouri for two years a home and home i can't remember who it is syracuse or duke or somebody so lo and behold 
they were out there to be had if you wanted to do it outside of the conference. But uh, for FSU, I think it's a good thing because FSU has gone to this model. Now, in terms of Tallahassians or people who want seven home games, it's not the best model. In terms of dollars, playing these neutral site games is, is putting more in the coffers than playing seven well, home games. Well, and you had this conversation with uh, A.D. Wilcox on Saturday in Miami. You know, the the seven home games versus the six home games and a, a neutral site. Well, Florida State just announced that they're 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 actually moving a home game. They just announced a two game series with Louisiana Monroe, and one of those games will be moved to Jacksonville. No, not the Louisiana Monroe, the Boise State. Boise State game will be moved because they've got Louisiana Monroe to come in and replace them. And 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 again, you're back to the six plus one model if you want to use numerical things. And what what Stan was explaining, and and it's it, it is difficult sometimes for the local community to to get their hands around that's acknowledged is that it's more money to florida state athletic department and how you balance the good to the community versus your selfish needs those that's a natural competition those are those are mutually sometimes mutually exclusive um uh, uh thought processes uh it still works for florida state and as long as fsu can continue to play in those neutral site games i don't think you want to play i don't think you want to play with them every year but, well, but they're, two they're out in, of three two out of four three out four, of four they're in a four out of five stretch right yeah. now because uh you had orlando you got atlanta next year i don't think there's anything in 2018 in 2019 there's a game in jacksonville and i think it's 2020 that they'll be back in atlanta against west virginia i might have the years off on that but to your point, they're doing it when they can. Exactly, and, I, and there's I think there's a non-revenue component to that too, and that is taking your product to your consumer. Correct. And in, in Florida State's case, especially in the state of Florida, I mean, sixty percent of the season ticket base is Orlando, Tampa, and South, or whatever the numbers are. So uh, you're you're making it a little easier for some of those folks because it is a trek to get to Tallahassee seven times a year. But you might as well take the opportunity, Atlanta. That's a big stage game, and in the case of Atlanta against Alabama next year, FSU's payout is like five million. Now, that's – I don't know the exact numbers, but I'm going to say it's at least twice as much as they'd clear on a home game. Now, not if Alabama played at FSU, but Alabama's not going to play at FSU in a home-and-home. Home. So you've got to think about what your alternative was. A, you know, a Louisiana Monroe, that's not going to net you five mil like no. you're going to net going to Atlanta. So that's the reason these games but it, are but happening. But it's part of the process. And, again, in a perfect world uh, – and you and I have had this conversation. In a perfect world, we hire a commissioner – for the FBS, and the commissioner, much like Roger Goodell at the NFL level, then mandates to the conferences, everybody does it the same way because that's the argument against staying the status quo. you got a couple of other conferences that are going to nine conference games versus eight, you know, and we all need to be the same way so that nobody gets impacted positively or negatively. Everybody's treated the same way. Just doesn't happen, probably ain't going to happen until we get the commissioner of FBS if there is such a person. If we had said commissioner, maybe he could mandate that Florida and LSU actually play their football game. We'll touch on that in the next segment. I do want to mention since we got on this uh, conference scheduling thing that with the announcement of the Louisiana Monroe game we now know that Florida State next year opens in Atlanta against Alabama the next week will host Louisiana Monroe then the next nine weeks assuming there's it's a one by season and I don't know offhand Florida State will play all eight ACC opponents in that nine week window in other words eight consecutive ACC games which will be against the Atlantic Miami will come to town and the uh, the other crossover opponent is at Duke next year then the week before Thanksgiving Florida State will pay play an FCS team as the tune-up for Florida, and the FCS foe hasn't been announced. So that's what the schedule looks like next year. Two non-conference, eight ACC, two non-conference to round out uh, 2017. All right, to round out the front row, we'll get back to this topic that is Florida. and Maybe they can play on Super Bowl Saturday. I mean, can we just pick a random time of the year and make them play? We'll discuss this when we come back on the front row. Listening to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979ESPNRadio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. Back on the front row as we finish up, Keith, the, uh, the Florida LSU issue deal, dealio, has been very intriguing. And, uh, 
I'm not sure that they're going to be able to play this game, honestly. They're talking about they're going to find a date to play it. You know, LSU's AD drew a line in the sand and said they're going to have a home game that November 19th. So unless they concede on that point, I think what may happen is they may have to go in and say, in terms of determining the division champs in the SEC, only look at division record. In other words, just discount Tennessee won't get dinged for losing to Texas A&M because that's not in your division. You'll just look at your division record for each team, and that's who will go to Atlanta. I don't know that they're going to play the game. I'm going to annoy some of our listeners and potentially really annoy you, but in listening to Jerry Foley, Jeremy Foley and listen to Avila, you know what it reminds me of? Dave Hart and T.K. Weatherall. They're just going to f- continue to find ways to disagree with each other. <laughs> well, and they were at the same place. Uh, that's my point. Yeah. And these two are on opposite sides. I mean, as soon as one says something, another one says something else. And then one says something, and another one says something else. Well, hindsight is always twenty twenty, as you know. And at the time the decision was made to cancel the game, it was absolutely the right decision. You didn't know if the storm was going to go over Gainesville or not. Uh what, what you probably could have done, especially in light of the fact that Georgia played a game on Sunday, you, you could have said the game is off for Saturday and we're going to move it to Sunday at this time or Monday, and then reevaluated after the storm went through on Friday when you realized, well, guess what? It's not nearly as bad as we thought. But they didn't decide to do that. And, uh, again, hindsight's twenty twenty. I don't know that they're going to get the game played. There. I, I agree with you. I think it's going to be very difficult for them to find a way to do it. And if they do, I think what's going to happen is it's going to be instead of two – FCS teams being bought out and playing that game on the 19th or whatever that date is in November, it's going to be like six or eight different moving parts. In other words, it's going to take some concessions by two or three or four other schools in order to accommodate that game. Well, and I'll say this, Florida State fans hope it does get worked out for November 19th because that sticks Florida with a game against LSU uh, the week before FSU would entertain them. And this is a year where FSU does not have an FCS team before that game they've got a conference opponent which is not Jimbo's preference but the way the schedule shook out yeah so we'll see we'll see where it goes anything else you would like to add as we finish up uh you know we mentioned men's basketball a shout out to to coach Sue and her group they've got UConn coming in early uh I I don't attend very many uh women's games because I'm I'm traveling and and so much involved in the men's games but that's going to be a women's basketball game I'm probably going to show up for yeah they also speaking of the uh the NCAA department of i have a heart or whatever we were referring to fsu got good news because On uh, one of their very key players got cleared about a week or two ago without having to sit out a year and that's now two out of three seasons that that's gone florida state's way see there is a small office maybe it's growing a little bit in there's only one person in it there's only one person all right keith uh was fun as always we'll bask in the glow of seven in a row for another 365 days or whatever bask in the glow of seven in a row kind of like i'm the, a poet and i don't know it yes the, the block at the Hard Rock. Did Lunafelt come up with that, by the way? The Seminole Hard Rock. I don't know who coined it, but it... it uh, the Block at the Hard Rock. Yes, and hopefully, Lord willing, I'll be back there again in two years. There you go. Demarcus Walker will not be, however, but I'll take another block in that game if somebody wearing garnet gold wants to make one. He's Keith. I'm Tom. Uh, we poison the airwaves every Wednesday at 6 and invite you to join us once again next week at 6 right here. Yeah.